0: Good morning, Roxy Soxy. Good morning, Tam Tam. Um, I looked at you this morning and I'm like, why do you look so pretty? Oh. <laughs> but now I feel really oh, bad because so then much you're fun. like, why the hell did you say, why do I look so pretty? Meaning, like, did I not look pretty this entire time that i was been Thanks. with you for the year? Did you look really you. like, and the first thing I was like, is like, did you have sex? Because you look so pretty. <laughs> Real sparkly. What's going on?
1: What's oh, going on?
0: It could be,
2: it could be that vaccine glow.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> that, that'll get people more vaccinated when you say your skin yes. looks really beautiful after you get the first shot. <laughs> right? So there you go. That's, that's a reason to do it. Maybe, maybe there's like an extra little bit of collagen and something, or oh maybe you're just flushed because you have like a severe temperature. <laughs>
3: or maybe you you have a 104 fever Roxy maybe that's the problem
0: (laughs) exactly exactly
2: I mean you got to get the flush somehow you know know. you got to do
0: it but so you're not having sex it's not from the vaccine you just look really hot today so okay (laughs) thank just, you thank you that's just what it is I actually had my um therapy session just uh, before here uh-huh. and like I I was like she's like but you're you're a pretty girl and I'm like I'm not I'm so ugly oh and I'm like after my therapy session I'm thinking it's, it's so ridiculous to even like think about that stuff and worry about it but we do we care so much about our appearance and it's like such a ridiculous thing to worry about. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like who cares if you have stretch marks, who cares if you've got an extra little gut, who cares if you're too thin or too th- whatever, but like we what do. does it matter? But
2: we do, we so care about it. And it's like, I think we have to work on it every day because it's one of those things that's like ingrained, ingrained in our brains. And it's like, how do we just let it go? Yeah. You know?
0: I want to, I can't, you know, I have to be honest with my people on social media. Cause mm-hmm. it's like 50% of me wants to be like, I accept my body and I love my body. And these but stretch marks you like built every day. no. And it's yeah. like, but you know, and it, my stomach built this beautiful baby and I love my baby, mm-hmm. which I do, but I also want to say like, and I wish I bounced back faster, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I wish, I wish I, you know, but then you feel even guilty for saying that. I think it's just, I think all of it is is hard to navigate. And I think mental health is so important to talk about. And it's also okay to be like honest about shame and feeling vulnerable, vulnerable about feelings the things that you don't like about yourself Mm -hmm. like isn't that okay i feel like
2: that's okay and i feel like when we the more we put it out there and talk about it the better because it's like one thing to feel it and not say it but if you say it and put it out there and you're honest about it i think that makes difference. yes because it's cathartic it's cathartic you know and it helps people
0: Yeah, and that's why, you know, I've Mm. been following this next lovely lady. Um, Mm. Do you say lady these days? You say girl, say lady, woman. Warrior, Warrior. she's a warrior. warrior. Powerhouse, (laughs) thing. I don't even know what you call people these days. Um, I've been following her for a while and I reached out to her because... She is all about helping people uncover their power and their Ooh. clarity. She has a podcast, she's an author, she has a book coming out on May 4th, which is called I Am Here. She's a social media powerhouse. I can't pronounce her last name, so she's gonna have to <laughs> help me. But her first name is Ashley, and she can finish up with the second part. Uh, <laughs> Would you like to- Hey,
2: guys. Hey. Ashley, welcome, welcome. Ashley, <laughs> okay. Cle-
1: please rem- please say the last name, because yes. I just screwed that up. Okay. I have to tell you, my husband and I got engaged so fast that the first question my dad and my sister asked me was how to spell my last name, <laughs> and I did not know. I <sighs> literally didn't know, so yes. you're totally good, but it's Lemieux. Ashley Lemieux. Oh, Le that's beautiful. Le it's so it, French, right? Mm, Lemieux. It is. Le it, means, mm-hmm. it means the best in French, so <sighs> I feel <sighs> really good about it. Awesome. And so he can just say to you, like, oh, you married... The best. <laughs> I know he can. It's I know i should have the changed my last best. name.
0: I'm, I'm such like a um, I'm such a feminist in that way. Like I'm like no, I've spent so long in my last name, and then my husband's like, well, what about my last name? So we're a hyphenate. So we're all a hyphenate family. Um, not in like, uh, in in the media, but mm-hmm. on our birth certificate and all that. Um, we've all changed not birth certificate, but like our driver's license and all that. We've changed to a hyphenate. So.
2: So, you're inclusive of everybody. Yeah. I mean,
0: you took your husband's name, didn't you, Moxie? Yes. But I
2: look at you, but I only did it on the first anniversary. That was his anniversary gift because it was such a pain in the butt to change everything Mm -hmm. that I was like, you know what? After the wedding, I was like, I'm just going to like take my time with this. Yeah. I was really soaking up, you know, like. Having my name, my last, yeah, right. (laughs) Having my own identity before, you know. But yeah, that was his first anniversary present because it really was a lot of work. What was your name before? Khan, like Genghis Khan.
0: Oh, I never knew that. Mm. Roxy Khan. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today, and this this podcast is probably gonna delve into some subjects that we talk about a lot. And I was uh, looking at Ashley's uh, Instagram today, and she was almost in tears because she got her period, and I'm about to get my period. So I understand that mm-hmm. that um, you know feeling very sensitive before getting your period. But her story is very different because she's been trying to get pregnant and having to deal with is navigating trying to deal try, dealing with infertility. So Ashley, can you talk
1: us a little bit about what's going on right now in your life? Mm-hmm. Yes. So everything feels really new. And this is actually the first time I've talked about it on a podcast. So if I stumble a little bit, bear with me, you guys. But um, I guess to tell you about what's going on right now, I need to tell you about what happened. It's almost been a year ago now. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband and I decided to get pregnant, uh, to try to get pregnant in November of 2019. Mm -hmm. and that was after coming out of losing two children that we had raised for over half of their lives. Um, we lost, we had permanent guardianship over them. We mm-hmm. we raised them as a family for over four years and we lost them overnight. And so a couple of years coming out of healing from that, we decided, okay, it's time to step forward and try to grow our family again. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So we got pregnant a month later and it was the first time we had tried to get pregnant. So we didn't know how long it was going to take, Mm -hmm. you know, you never know that first shot. And so we got pregnant right away. We were so excited. Um, we moved into our brand new house that a couple months later, like everything just felt like this moment that we were just moving forward in our lives finally. And, um, During the week that COVID shut everything down last year, Mm -hmm. three days after we moved into our house, I went septic. So I was 16 weeks pregnant. And all of a sudden, within literally a span of two hours, I went from being fine to screaming and having an ambulance drive me as fast as possible to the hospital. It was the same day that the hospital's closed off any visitors. Mm-hmm. So I had to go in without my husband, um, which is when we learned I had sepsis. And if you're not familiar with sepsis, it's a blood infection that starts to take over your entire body, has a very high death rate. And especially when you're pregnant, it's it's very dangerous. So at first the baby was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two days later, um, there was no more heartbeat and we lost him. His name is Jace um and then for the next several months I'm trying to recover from a miscarriage from a, a childbirth and from sepsis and my body just it is like everything physically and emotionally exploded from the inside out and my husband and I were in this place of... Do we try to have kids again? Like, do we even try again? Because it feels like our heart's been broken so many times. And, and if it were to happen again, like, I just, I just don't know yeah. if we could handle that. Mm-hmm. So last, uh, in October, it finally got cleared that my body was healthy enough to, to carry a pregnancy again. And since then we've been trying to get pregnant. So it's now March um, so it's been several months, we haven't gotten pregnant yet. I'm doing all of the things right now we're doing acupuncture for fertility, I've totally changed my eating, I'm doing all these things. And then last month, we started with a fertility specialist, which is where we're at right now. Um, and so that's why it was so upsetting when my period just started, because it, I guess was our first month of unsuccessful fertility treatments. Mm-hmm. And um, you're, we're just in this place right now where we don't know what's going to happen in the future but we want our kids so badly and so it all just feels it's a lot it feels like a lot
2: you know ashley i was looking um just doing such a deep dive in your social media and really i was hanging on to every word that you were saying and in your post you're such a gifted and beautiful writer and you you just you you feel all the feels like you're reading your words and you've been really open and honest about you know infertility and about grief and Mm -hmm. you know just going through the process and going through the pain you know and i just i want to know how how are you able to do that because i know like i don't think i would be that strong you know i feel like for me Um, you know, I find like sometimes it's almost easier for me to cut myself off from people Mm -hmm. to deal with it by myself. Mm -hmm. And then kind of once I've kind of come over that, then kind of talk about it. But, but it's almost like you're going through it and everyone is there with you. So can you speak to that a
1: little bit? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that because sometimes from my, from my perspective, I do feel like I cut myself off, Mm -hmm. whether that be from friends or even sometimes with my husband where I'm like, I have zero things to give right now. And I like, I retreat, Mm -hmm. I pull in, but what's been a constant in my life ever since I was a little girl is writing. Writing helps me give words to my pain. It helps me give a voice to the things that I'm feeling Um, And so I write. And so Mm -hmm. in writing, I'm able to help other women, I feel like find words to their feelings Mm -hmm. and therefore they feel less alone. And then I feel less alone because Mm -hmm. of the amount of women that I'm able to connect with, Mm -hmm. because something else I've learned is that even though the details of all of our lives are so different, Mm -hmm. the feelings that we experience are Mm -hmm. the same. And when we can identify what those feelings are and then give them a voice is when healing can start to happen. Because once you give a voice to your pain, you stop running away from it. It mm-hmm. stops feeling so scary and it then starts to become a teacher. And so I think that's why writing and connecting with women for me has been so crucial in my healing processes because it puts pain in this position of being my teacher instead of something that just scares the hell out of me every day and prohibits me from getting out of bed in the morning. Mm. And
0: tell me if you feel comfortable about talking about this, but um, I don't even know how it's possible. And this makes me so angry. I just, I just met you and it makes me angry to even know that this can happen how someone can adopt children and then after four years for them to be taken away, how, how can something like that happen? And how are you not angry and bitter? You know, you seem to be handling it and navigating it with grace. You know, I, I mean, how, how,
1: it's a lot. Um, and to make sure I clarify, we hadn't fully adopted the kids, mm-hmm. but we were their permanent guardians. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are also instances where, where full adoptions are disrupted. Um, and this can start becoming a heavy topic because there are some people who believe 2000% that no matter what, no matter how much time has passed, no matter what has taken place, that children are always to be with a biolog with their biological family right and Mm -hmm. so there's like this part of this heated discussion Mm -hmm. whereas we've seen the downfalls of the foster care system we've Mm -hmm. seen um how there's a lot of laws that don't protect this country's most vulnerable people which is Mm -hmm. the kids Mm -hmm. um and the anger that you talk about is something that we have felt <laughs> every single day really um for the past 4 years mm-hmm. and it it's it's really hard to reconcile because mm-hmm. the grief process feels like this loop because it's mm-hmm. still open ended there's still these two children that we that we raised and poured in, poured into and were a family unit and that and they and they had us as a family unit for so long And now they're out there living in the world Mm -hmm. and there's no, there's no communication. There's no, so then your mind starts going in circles of where are they? Are they okay? All of these things. And then it's also hard to navigate because there's a lot of things that we could share.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But then we also have to draw the line of, well, what would be harmful in their lives to share Mm -hmm. But then, how do we also raise awareness that there's a lot of things in the child welfare system that needs to change? So it's of course. it's a lot, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very
2: angering too just uh, you know, agreeing with what Tamman said when I sat there and actually listened to the story of what happened uh, as like how they were taken away it it was almost you know as a mom like too much to bear like just listening to it um if it's okay with you do you mind describing just if people don't really know the story mm-hmm. what exact because i just want people to have some context so they know um i mean for you guys how traumatic it was
1: mm. you know yeah so um i need to also be clear that my husband and i were not foster parents because okay. in a foster in a foster home situation, the goal is always reunification 100% of that time. So you go in as a, and it doesn't make having the children leave your home any easier, I can imagine. But you know that as a foster parent, like that is the, the end goal. The end goal but- yeah. Yeah. Um, foster being a foster parent was nothing that we ever pursued Mm -hmm. and we were signed over permanent guardianship from biological family Mm -hmm. to us. Um, the four of us thought that we were going to be a family forever and always. Um, so during the final adoption process, the, we experienced a very unexpected contested adoption Mm -hmm. from someone in the biological family. Um, which put us in two years in court, Mm -hmm. um, those two years were hell. We couldn't talk about anything because everything that we said on social media was used against us, you know, and you probably Mm -hmm. noticed like even now in your life, you know, people take things out of context, they twist your Mm -hmm, words, they do all these things. Well, during that time, it was like, we had to be, we were just absolutely silenced, um, and it was horrific. And then four years ago, um, I was on the other side of the country for work. I had totally stopped traveling for work because I just was home with the kids and taking care of what our family had needed. But it was our biggest event of the year. And I was like, I'm going to go to this, you know, like we have to continue living our lives. And while I was gone, there was an emergency, while I was gone, there was an emergency um, court hearing called Originally we were supposed to have like the final week of court the following month. Um, So I get a phone call from my husband and I was assured that everything was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I got a call from my husband um, and he says, Ashley, they are returning the kids to the biological family tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, And they're not giving you time to come home and say goodbye. And, um, the next day, my husband had to drop the kids off at their school. Um, we were under court order that we couldn't tell them what was going on. Um, and that was the last time that we ever saw them. Uh, That moment, that's a moment that I replay in my head over and over again. Because as a mom, you know that, like, all you want to do, like, as a mom, is your goal in life is to protect your Mm -hmm. baby. Your goal is to provide them love and keep them safe and protect them. And when I could not do that any longer... It sent me into this spiral of feeling like the biggest failure ever like i mm-hmm. no I hated myself so much mm-hmm. for for not being able to um save them from the pain that they were experiencing and um and again, like it's so hard still because. Like the love doesn't just go away. Like you don't just stop being a mom. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also haven't seen them for four years. Do you think that as they get older,
0: they will want to reconnect? Or do you think that they'll be so confused by this whole, I mean, again, how would you know? But is
1: that something you would like? Mm -hmm. Oh, I would love that. Um, We sent them. So we had to say goodbye through letters. Mm -hmm. And in the letter I wrote them, I told them, I said, my number, my phone number will always be the same. I will always be here for you, loving you, waiting for you. Um, And yeah, I that's like that's that's one of the things that keeps me going is what if one day they reach out? hoping to find me and I'm not here anymore. Like I got to get out of bed. I got to keep going. I got to I got to create a life that they would be proud of their mom creating mm-hmm. and that they, that they wouldn't hold guilt because the pain of it all was too much for me. And so I just stopped living my life. Like, I don't want them to ever feel like I, I just, I want them to be proud and I want them to not have to carry any weight of the effects that everything has had on our lives. Mm
2: -hmm. When You go through um, trauma like this um, and you're, you know, you've got your partner, your husband, Mm -hmm. what does that do to your relationship? Does that make it stronger? Does it make it weaker? Does it make you think about, you know, if it can go on, uh, Mm -hmm. does it make you reevaluate things? Like what effect did that have on your relationship with your husband?
1: For us, it affected everything. And there was a a time right when things were getting really bad in the court case where I looked at him and I said, if we lose the kids, Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm going to need, but I might need to have a break from you. Like, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue on in this life together. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, Ashley, no matter what it is that you need, I'm going to be here waiting for you to figure it out. And when he said that, I knew that we would be okay. I didn't know like the logistics of how we would be okay, but I knew that we would. We ended up selling everything that we owned in our house in Phoenix and our house that we raised Mm -hmm. the kids in. And we moved to Nashville, um, where we wouldn't know anyone where we could start all over and where we could just like rely on each other and figure out what the next step forward was going to look like for us. So we stayed there for two years. Um, and you know, it's really, it's, it feels impossible at first because we were parents like going Mm -hmm. from being parents to now just us two alone Mm -hmm. 24 seven. Um, that's a lot. Like it's a lot to, to just figure out. I mean, and it was so quiet and there was so much time on our hands and we were just stare at each other and we're like, what the hell are we supposed to be doing right now? Like, what do we even like to do? Do what do we love about each other anymore? What do we, and so we started with, okay, is there something that we could do together. So the thing that saved our marriage was boxing. We started boxing together. We just mm -hmm. beat the crap out of bags (laughs) and we picked up this hobby together. And we started, we just started trying to find little things that got us out of bed together each morning. Um, And so now years later, our relationship is stronger than it's ever been. But for a while, we didn't know if we would make it this far together.
0: I remember, um, so after my first daughter, I had many miscarriages between daughter one and daughter two and the worst miscarriage, um, we, you know, gave birth to the sort of fetus on the floor of our, of our, uh, of our living room. And I remember just holding my husband and like crying with him while it happened. And I thought, I was like, we can't recover from this. Like we how are we going to be able to like, in a way, like you said, like I feel like I did something wrong. Like my body did something wrong. I failed. Mm -hmm. I felt guilt and shame. And it actually brought us closer than we've ever been. And it's what, um, you know, this other podcast that we did with little miss mama, she, uh, Ashley, she, she just said that, you know, pain and loss and grief can really unify because it's something that we all understand. Um, You know, someone's greatest pain might be different than somebody else's greatest pain, but like love we've all grieved in some way before. And it brings us together either with your relationships or with other people it connects, Mm. it connects us. So, um, so, you know, you said that hopefully your grief and your pain will be worth it. Mm-hmm. And that's why you ultimately wrote a book and it's going to change people's lives.
1: Mm. I hope so. <laughs> I, um, yeah. I, <laughs> I I think that that like, and like I said earlier is that we, our stories are all different, but the mm-hmm. feelings that we have are the same. And I think that once we realize that, and, and then we can start learning how we best need to process our grief Mm -hmm. and then how someone else needs to best process their grief and then how our partner needs Mm -hmm. to best process their grief. Mm -hmm. It adds this layer of love and compassion and empathy Mm -hmm. because we start seeing the people around us differently. We start understanding Mm -hmm. that maybe their experience of the world is in such a way that that's why they act that way. And Mm -hmm. and then how can I best show up Um, to support them. And, and I think, you know, something that something that I really hate um, hearing, and I hear this a lot. And, and I also know that it's true, but it's often said that hurt people hurt people, Mm -hmm, right.
3: right.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, But I also know that healed people heal people, right. And we can all and, and listen, if someone were to say this to me four years ago, I would have wanted to punch them in the, in the face. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's this moment in our lives where we have the choice to choose to stay hurt or to keep walking on a path of healing. I agree. And I, I believe that healing isn't going back to how things were before, because once you go through something and you're not supposed to be the way you were before. You never could be, you've learned too many things. You've grown too many ways. You've experienced, you have these new lenses in which you experience the world. You're not supposed to be how and who you were before. And that's Mm -hmm. okay. And that's its own level of grief too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think healing means that you're committed to keep moving forward on a path and, um, empathizing with others while learning how to rebuild your life in such a way that you still feel joy, even if you feel sorrow and you still feel excitement, even if you feel sadness. I, I love the word and something that grief has taught me is the word and that I can feel joy and sorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to feel both of those things because it's part of my human Existence. And so then when I can recognize that in someone else or in my spouse, the level of love and understanding that I have for them is just far greater than it was before understanding grief on such an intimate level. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, also uh, when Little Miss Mama Ashley Stock was on a couple weeks ago, we were talking about grief language because, you know, she's been through also very, you know, very traumatic grief in her life. And she was saying, you know, I actually I was asking her. I said, you know, like because for somebody that's looking in from the outside trying to talk to somebody that's processing something sometimes you feel like you're not saying the right thing or you know you don't know Mm -hmm. what to say or you don't want to say the wrong thing you know Mm -hmm. so she was saying you know it's really important for us to learn the language of grief and Mm -hmm. um i just from you and, and and everywhere language is different you know what might be right for somebody might not be right for somebody else so for you um what has that journey looked like i mean If you were going to tell somebody who, you know, might be on the outside trying to help somebody else go through something, what should they say to that person? You know, what is the right thing to say?
1: I think that the first right thing is to show up, Mm -hmm. Um, whatever that looks like. And you know what? We we all say things wrong. We all get things wrong at whatever point in our lives. And so I, I think the most important thing is showing up. Mm -hmm. But something that um, feels really important to me is that when you're going through grief or loss or tragedy, whatever the situation is, Mm -hmm. you feel really lonely. You feel alone. You feel Mm -hmm. scared, You feel um, very vulnerable. And something that can be really hard is when people are trying to comfort you and they say, Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine how you feel. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine. I can't imagine. And when you hear that enough from so many people, when you're already feeling so alone, it just Mm kind of makes you feel more alone. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the best things that were said to me uh, were from people who who would say, I've been trying to imagine how you feel Mm -hmm. and I'm so sorry. And I'm just going to, I'm going to sit here in it with you because no one can take it away. You can't take your friend's pain away and you're not supposed to. But I think the most courageous thing that you can do and the most supportive thing that you can do is try to put yourself in their shoes and then just sit there in it with them for a, however long that might be. And maybe part of that includes putting little reminders on your phone, like a, an important birthday or an anniversary or date is coming up. I want them to know that just because the rest of the world has moved on, because it's, you know, three the three month grief limit mm-hmm. is up that I'm still here and uh, I'm still sitting with you in in this.
0: I feel like because so many people who have gone through such traumatic events don't, I think there's like this, I just don't think people ever really tell others what they need. Cause again, going back to that shame or vulnerability. um, And so then people don't know what to do And then on goes the perpetual cycle of someone grieving, someone making them feel worse because we all feel so ashamed for the things that we deal with. So we do shut down and we shut people. I mean, I know I do. I shut down, shut people out. Um, don't get back to them. And maybe if I just said, Hey, like this miscarriage really sucks. And I'm really in pain. Maybe, maybe I would get what I needed, you know? Um, but I do think that's something that I've been learning a lot about too. I don't know if I do it as much as I used to, but it's toxic positivity, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, you'll be in a way you're trying to make someone feel better. And you're saying, but like, if someone broke their leg, let's say, and you go, you know what, but at least I know you broke your leg, but at least like in time, your leg won't be broken and you'll be okay. And so it minimizes Mm -hmm. their pain and it makes them feel worse because you're not, um, acknowledging, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you're going through that. What can I do to help? I'm here for you. It's just like, you know, toxic positivity where you do feel like you're trying to help, but you really aren't. Mm.
1: Yes. And I think there's this honoring that can happen between people when someone can just say, I see like acknowledging it Mm
3: -hmm. and
1: then acknowledging how much it sucks. I think those two things will go farther than, you could even realize just people want to be seen, mm-hmm. they want to be validated, and they want to know that you're going to be there with them right now and mm-hmm. in the upcoming months and year when they're still going through it. And so I think that's a really profound thing to say, Tam, and is let's acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. We're not here to fix it, mm-hmm. but we can sit in it with them and let them feel supported
2: you know uh to dealing with grief i mean it's it's a it goes up and down all around you know it twists and turns does the pain get better as time goes on or does it get harder um or does it change you know day by day sometimes it feels easier sometimes it feels harder what does that progression
1: look like it changes the the pain changes because I think that it doesn't go away. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. Um, But how you carry it changes and Mm -hmm. how you experience life through a new lens changes um, and, and how you learn how to continue moving forward with it changes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I think a lot of people, that are grieving this is actually why i wrote my new book i am here because what happens that at least in my life is that you go through the hard thing right and you like get yourself pumped up to just keep trying to get out of bed every day and you keep going but then there comes this point where a year or two years three years goes by and now it's really time to start rebuilding your life but everything feels different because you're different and the world feels different because you view it different and it can become scary because pain has changed you, mm. and it and it starts getting really confusing at first. Figuring out what do I believe, mm. what do I believe about myself still, what do I believe about the purpose of my life, what like do I feel safe in my life anymore? There's just all these new questions um, and views that you have, and so pain and grief change you completely, and it's something that. Um, takes a lot of reconciliation to start to start being able to accept and and say my life isn't what it was. Mm -hmm. And it's okay, because it can still be something beautiful.
0: Mm. Does pain also open you up in a way that you never thought you'd be cracked open as well? I've heard that from a few people that Mm. when they experience something so traumatic, it's like, all the things that mattered so much, And the trivialization of life, Mm -hmm. it just starts to like wither away. And like life is now brighter and scarier and more intense. And like the the relationships you have matter so much more because now you know what it's like to lose something. Mm -hmm. I mean,
1: that's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I something that I hear often and that I fully believe is that the deeper your, your pain, the deeper your grief is also Mm -hmm. the greater your joy. Because Mm -hmm. when you know the drastic contrast between the Mm -hmm. two, like feeling I'll never forget the first time I stepped outside of Nashville, when we bought our new house and I felt the sun hit my face Mm -hmm. and it felt like it felt it was like this reminder that I was still alive and that there was still this future for me. Mm-hmm. That moment of the sun, like feeling the warmth, mm-hmm. impacted me so deeply. And those little things that you just get going in in the cycle of life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, it's it's easy to not pay attention to those. Um, but grief opens up these new little details in a way um, because you're grasping for anything to allow you to keep moving forward. And something else that that pain has taught me, um, I think a lot of times that we we look for answers out mm-hmm. in the world or outside of ourselves to try to fix ourselves, to try to mm-hmm. heal ourselves, to like, if I drink enough of, of this bottle, like, can I just forget my problems? Mm-hmm. Or if I eat enough of this thing, or if I spend enough money here, can this go fill. away?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, can this fill my voids? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm pain has taught me that the very things that we're looking for
3: Mm -hmm.
1: are already inside of us. And like, we're the rainbow at the end of the storm that we're looking for.
0: Yeah.
1: And so when we listen and allow pain to teach us again, Mm -hmm. um, we're able to uncover things about ourselves and about life that Mm -hmm. we just very easily would have passed
0: by. I always say to my husband, you know, on your deathbed or whenever it's the last moments, you're not thinking about you're not thinking about the awards that you won mm-hmm. you're not thinking about the likes on social media mm-hmm. you're not thinking about the money you spent on your chanel bag or your hair extensions and but yet it matters so if you feel like it matters so mm-hmm. much in that moment like you know can i buy that can i do that can i look good you know your stretch marks whatever it mm-hmm. is your your lines on your face like it doesn't matter you know my husband had covid in January. And there was a couple of days where we thought he wasn't going to make it. And the only thing that mattered was his life. Like him, 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 mm-hmm. his soul, his heart, his body. like that is all that mattered. And I remember going into the grocery store, just like completely just, you know, on adrenaline, just thinking like, all I want to do is save his life. That's all I want to do. And nothing else matters. And, you know, we can't, we don't, we don't, we can, but we don't live like that all the time. Mm-hmm. But I almost wish that we had those reminders, not obviously you don't want your husband mm-hmm. getting COVID all the time, but those reminders to come in without having to have something like that to like make you wake up,
2: mm-hmm. you know, it's a hard thing. Yeah. yeah,
1: It's a, it's a really hard thing. And, um, you know, there's something that I started doing during that time, because, because of those reminders and also just trying to find the things in life that keep, to keep me propelling forward. But I started asking myself five questions every day Mm. and I still ask myself those five questions every day because it helps me focus on what's important and it helps Mm. me keep me, keep me moving forward. Mm -hmm. And the five questions are, what is my intention? So like, what is today? If this was my last day, like, what is my intention today?
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Some it changes. Sometimes I just want to show up as a big ball of love to someone who needs it. Sometimes, um, I want to just be able to connect with my husband or sometimes I just want to be the best freaking aunt ever so that my niece and nephew have the greatest day and feel loved, right? Like whatever it is, like, what is my intention today? Um, the second question I ask is why am I worthy? Like, why am I worthy to experience today? Why am I worthy of the joy? Why am I worthy of whatever, mm-hmm.
3: um,
1: because I think a lot too when you go through grief, you also go through guilt, survivor's mm-hmm. guilt, or mm-hmm. guilty of feeling happy after loss. And mm-hmm. so asking yourself, why am I worthy too? Mm-hmm. Has been really healing. The next question I ask to like bring myself back to the day is who can I serve? Mm-hmm. Like who can I serve today? Who needs me? Who my pain has taught me something? Mm-hmm. Who needs me to see them um, in their pain now? The fourth question is, what can I set down today? Like what false beliefs or what heavy things am I carrying? Can I sit down? And then the last one is, who is the truest version of myself? Mm
3: -hmm. How would the
1: truest, bravest version of myself show up today? And as I go through those five questions every morning, and it can take me, I'll do it after my meditation. So it can take me just a couple minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, But those help me refocus on what actually is important so that I'm living my life in an intentional way. So that at the end of my life, I'm not regretting just letting it pass me by.
2: Yeah. And you're also, you you know, there's gratitude in there and it's also serving others, which I think is such an important lesson. Mm -hmm. Um, did those, I'm curious, did those five questions, um, come out of any sort of, you know, like any sort of the trauma that you've experienced? Or was that something that you sort of have always done that was always there? Because I know I was looking at one of your posts and I thought it was so interesting. You were talking about growing up as a young girl and, you know, kind of fitting into that box of being quiet and being silent and being small and doing the things we're supposed to do as as girls growing up, you know, like just being soft and quiet and sweet and really coming into yourself and finding your voice, you know, and, and how that change sort of happened. So was that, was that part of that process or was this something that happened after?
1: Yeah. So part, you know, I think it took me losing my voice for me to actually really find it. Mm -hmm. And so these questions um, I started uncovering them when we moved to Nashville, as Mm -hmm. we were coming out of, Losing the kids, um, and I go in depth with these questions in my book. But it was like they built off of each other because at first I just had to find an intention for my day. I had to figure out why am I getting out of bed? Like, why does it matter? I have nobody to take care of anymore. Mm-hmm. I could lay in my bed for months, and it would not affect anybody. Mm-hmm. And so I had to get very intentional with how I was spending my time. So that's where I started. Mm-hmm. And then as I started seeing that make an impact in my life. Like the next question would come up and then the next question would come until I got these five questions that really fueled me to rebuilding a beautiful life in the midst of heartache um, that has turned into something that I'm really proud of and that I'm really happy to wake up to now every day, even though it doesn't look like how I once dreamed it would, Mm -hmm. I still find so much joy in it because I've been intentional about what I'm doing with my time and finding joy in those things. And like you were talking about earlier, not in a toxic positive, Mm -hmm. not in a toxic positivity Mm -hmm. way, but Mm -hmm. in a very real, this is my life. This is the time that I have here on earth. What am I going to be doing with it so that I don't regret wasting my time?
0: Mm. So the future for you right now is obviously you have so many incredible things in your life that is helping people <clears throat> book podcasts. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you would said on your Instagram that you're going to stop trying, which is by the way, exactly when I got pregnant. Um, my doctor was like, <laughs> yeah, we'd had so many miscarriages. The doctor was like, please stop trying. I was like, okay, we'll have sex on my period and the day before my period. And we got pregnant and she was 10 pounds. Wow. I love her,
1: And she's- <laughs>
0: Like she should, she wanted to be here no matter, you know. The doctor was like, Take a break. She was like, I will not take a break. Um, so <laughs> then you're gonna stir it up again. And, like, what does that look like for you? I mean, I know for me, trying to get pregnant was actually one of the most unsexy, hard, sad, oh, yeah, painful mm. things I'd actually had been through. Um, and I, I definitely think after you've had loss of um a baby a fetus, uh a miscarriage. I think it's very difficult. Mm. Um but people who are trying every month, it starts to become like the TTC trying to conceive is like not a fun experience. Mm. So what what is gonna happen next where like what in regards to your fertility journey? Mm.
1: So we're right now uh we're giving it one more month um and we're adding on an IUI which basically means that you don't have intercourse <laughs> so like sex is totally taken out of it and it's like this sign sure of- great happy about that <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i know right <laughs> like will this help you have a baby Yeah. Um, and then after that yeah after that i said i need an emotional break mm-hmm. um because it's uh, we realized since last january i've gone been going to the doctor every at least once a week now for over a year, because I was pregnant, high risk prisons, pregnancy, got sick, lost the baby was still sick. And now we're doing fertility. And I'm like, I just need a break. Because mm-hmm. here's something else that I've learned is that it's really easy to live your life waiting for the next thing to happen. Mm-hmm. And when we keep waiting for the next thing to happen, we miss out on everything that already so is. True. And, so true. and I don't, I don't want to live in that pattern. And so I know that taking a break will, will help me reset. Will help Mm -hmm. me just enjoy life with, with, as it is. And then when we know that it's time to start trying again, we'll start trying again. But something else I try to do is I try not to get too far in my head because, Mm -hmm. When i get too far in my head then i start stressing out and i think well but i'm going to be 35 in november and we still don't have kids with us and we and then what if it takes two more years and you know like i go down this spiral Mm -hmm. so i really just focus on what am i doing today are there things that i can do to support me in these upcoming weeks and then based off of the information that i gather you know between now and then we'll decide Mm -hmm. what happens next You know, we talk
2: about infertility a lot on this podcast and, you know, so many women are going through it Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, a battle and it's a journey Mm -hmm. and we're all doing, I mean, I think talking about it is, is so amazing because it makes the conversation, you know, normalizes it and it gets it out there and makes women not feel alone. Um, So for you along this journey, has there been anything that sort of helped you emotionally or mentally sort of get through because it is a roller coaster you know like is there anything that's sort of helped you kind of make your way through it
1: um this this fertility part that we're currently currently in is so new Mm -hmm. it's so i mean we're only at the first month at like the fertility clinic and um and so that's it's so new and fresh Mm -hmm. and I have friends who also are in the similar situation. And so finding a group of friends that I can just talk to and I can say, and I know that they're, they've done what I'm now doing and being able to ask like, Hey, what happened when you were doing this, this, and this, um, we also are in a infant loss support group, um, that has been really helpful. And I, I think that that's something that can provide a lot of support is finding people who are going through or who have been, through what you're going through Mm -hmm. because then you are able to connect with people just on a level that you might feel a little bit more understood and feel a lot less alone. Mm. So as we finish up this show today,
0: what is something that you can give for people who have gone through loss, grief, trauma, fertility? Um, What's like your greatest sort of life statement? Mm
1: it's I am here. Mm. I want you to what in whatever moment today and you know what you might found feel crazy doing this because Mm. um, I fully get it because I've done it many times but something that I do Mm -hmm. is I when things start getting really overwhelming uh, I want to escape it. I want to escape my life. I want to run away. I want to fill the voids. but what I have learned is that the most powerful thing that we can do is be here and accept our life, all of it as mm-hmm. it is right now, and know that all of it is happening for us and not mm-hmm. to us, but happening for us. And so something that I do, and my husband and I started doing this several years ago, mm-hmm. but I will close my eyes mm-hmm. and I will throw my arms up in my in the air and mm-hmm. I will literally yell at the top of my lungs, I am here, I am mm-hmm. right here. And it helps me just know, like, I have made it through, you Mm -hmm. have made it through your worst moments to be right here. And what a powerful journey you've been on Mm -hmm. sister, like, Mm -hmm. look at how strong you are to still be standing. And, and it's time to reclaim that power, so that you can continue to be here throughout your whole life, and be intentional with how you're living it and i know that things can get so hard but i also know that you were born to shine even in the midst of all of that mm-hmm. i am here i am here, here. here.
0: <laughs> you said that and i just visualized a tattoo on my arm because you know i have i have such negative self talk that i'm working on and it's just like if i could just love myself and accept myself and accept that like i matter
2: mm-hmm. like
0: maybe everything maybe it would you just all get bad. Do
2: you think that's, do you really have that? Like yeah. where you feel like it's not like. Yeah, I have a terror.
0: I, I have a very bad self-esteem, but there's reasons for it. It's, it's not oh. my family's fault at all. It's just the right. nature of how I, you know, I was, I was, you know, a working actress when I was 14 years old. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if a 14 year old, 15 year old should have that kind of pressure and mm. feel that type of failure and be sort of emotionally neglected because they were constantly in an adult world when they were just a kid. Like I never really got to experience, you know, fucking up and, you know, going on dates and, Mm -hmm. you know, doing those, I was just always meant to be good. And like, I was never allowed to screw up. So I never learned how, so I just always felt like i um, I feel, I felt like I was always failing. So as you get older, you feel like you're always failing. Mm. And then it's negative. Like, I don't, I don't know if I wake up in the morning and go like, I'm I'm so great. I'm going to kick ass. I'm always like, okay, don't be negative. Think of the positive things. And then, you know, my day gets better. But yeah, it's, it's a constant work in progress. That's for sure. Well, you, know? you just have to
2: remember you're
1: here. You were here and you made it. You're you know? Here.
0: And so Ashley, where can people find you?
1: Yes. Um, actually, Tammin, can I ask you one more quick? I just, can I ask please, you a question? Please, you can quick? ask, Oh, Lord, you can ask <laughs> okay. me anything you want. <laughs> because, well, because you are talking and I, I, I'm just like listening to you and, and, and just like picturing this precious 14 year old girl, just wanting to be the good girl that you m- might've heard you were supposed to be, or felt like you mm-hmm. should be and all of that pressure and, and feeling like you're failing. But I don't, what if you answered the question, like, what if it wasn't failure? Yeah. What if it's not failure? Yeah. What would that mean for right now? Like those, those feelings that you feel when you feel like you're feeling, what if it's not failure? Yeah. What if it's something else? Mm. You know, what's interesting is I had a Zoom call with
0: um, this agency somewhere else in the world, we're here. And they said, well, we just have to see if these people like you, you know? And you know, and I said back, and it was the first time, and you'll be proud, Ashley. It was the first time I actually stood up for myself and I said, you know what? If they don't like me, I'm just gonna keep doing my thing. And I was like, I'll just figure out a way, you know. Yeah. And it took me like a lot of like self-reflection and you know, a lot of therapy to realize that like I do matter. Maybe if it wasn't failure, it was just growth. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what it was.
2: And it was something you had to yeah. go through to get to where you are now, you know? Yeah.
0: And look, yeah. if my life means that my kids will not suffer the way I suffered, mm-hmm. then that's enough for me.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. You're doing like great. I see my daughter sometimes like being not, you know, te- like beating herself up. And now that I have the tools, <laughs> it's funny. Cause I read this quote that said, I'm in therapy because you didn't go to therapy. If everyone just <laughs> went to therapy, we'd all be fine. Um, So I'm just trying not to, you know, I'm trying for my daughter to really understand her own emotions and I'm trying to give her choices and options. And, you know, so, so hopefully I don't fuck her up. I probably will. <laughs> <laughs>
2: don't we all? I know with, with daughters, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's, it's, a it's yeah. really a challenge, you know, because, like you're saying, like we've all been a little girl. We know what that yeah. feels like, and the pressures that are on us, and and uh, you know, we're held to a different standard than boys are, and not that boys aren't. You know, they have their own standards that they have to to be you know. held onto. But I think for women, you know, we
0: know we know what's out there, and we know we just do our best, right? We just I'm try reading, our best. I'm reading this one quote that my therapist said today. She said. If you don't nurture the child within you, mm-hmm. you cannot you cannot nurture your own child. And I was like, Oh God, oh, I got a lot of work to do. Wow. Yes, um, yes. We neglect that child in us, though, don't we? Mm-hmm. That we neglect that child in us. We don't listen to it, you know. Well, thank you so much for being here. We so appreciate you and your words and that you are here. Yes. Um, we thanks are for here. having me, guys.
1: Hey. Yay! I where, am can here. People, where can people <laughs> find you before we leave? Yes. You can come find me. I love my community on Instagram. You can find me mm-hmm. at Ashley K. Lemieux. You can go to my website, theshineproject.com. Uh, you can purchase I Am Here Now, wherever books are sold. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, love you guys. Thank you so much Thank for having you. me today. Thank we you.
0: We are love so you honored. Too. And um, Roxy Soxy, What's what do we do now? What do we say? <laughs> <I> <laughs> don't don't forget, blank. Please
2: don't forget to rate, subscribe, and comment wherever you get your podcast, so we can keep bringing you amazing
0: guests yes. like Ashley. And we are Women on Top Official on Instagram. And Women on Top Podcast on Facebook. And I am Taman Sursock.
2: And I am Roxy Manning. And we are Women,
0: Women <laughs> on Top